Broadcasting from the bottom of the canal, this is RFG, RadioFreeGowanus.org. Gowanus, we are back. This is DJ Mike at the Interference Archive, uh, 131 8th Street between 2nd and 3rd Avenue. We're at the Building Resistance Propaganda Party. We're here till 5 o'clock. Uh, we're going to be interviewing people who are here to build resistance and uh, make and or collect and or disseminate propaganda for their cause. It's a solidarity thing. Um, we are Radio Free Gowanus, uh, neighbors to the Interference Archive. RadioFreeGowanus.org and 88.5 FM. Although, if you're listening to my voice right now, you already know that. Uh, and you're one of the few people in the neighborhood who actually has a radio. So, I have a uh, guest in the, uh, on the mic here. This, can you, want, you want to introduce yourself? Yes. Uh, hi, everyone who's listening. Um, my name's Roxanne. Um, I also go by Roxy. Um, and I am an organizer uh, with CAV. Uh, which stands for Committee Against Anti-Asian Violence. So, yeah. Two Vs. Uh, one no, V. One it's v. triple A and one V. Triple A. <laughs> Cav. C-A-A-A-V. A-V, yes. Got it. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks, Roxy. Thanks for uh, coming by and, and talking to us. What, so, tell us more about Cav. So, um, Cav has been organizing for 30 years in New York City. Uh, I think we're one of the only Asian American organizations, you know, that organize politically, whatever, you know, that because organizing can mean so many different things, right? Um, and has always been uh, um, like leftist, you know, we've always been organizing um, not only, you know, with um, Chinese American um, immigrants, but also, you know, just like pan, Pan-Asian as well as, you know, with uh, workers, you know, with unions and um, because of our history, you know, it's just uh, even um, even if um, folks were to check it out online, um, you'll see that um, there are organizations that have come out of CAV that are still organizing right now, mm-hmm. but you know are still really active. Um, yeah, so CAV has been kind of a birthplace of different Asian American political organizations. Wow, awesome! Thirty years is a long time. Yeah. I mean, you obviously haven't been there for thirty years. <laughs> no. Uh, um, <laughs> So, uh, so do you organize 
with the group like in a, like in a particular location or just around certain issues or how does that work? Um, so I work with a particular group. Um, I am one of the three or tenant organizers um, with our project. That's called the Nitro Organizing Project. And we work with uh, Asian tenants in Queensbridge. And for those who don't know, um, Queensbridge is the biggest um, public housing project in the nation. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And we're uh, just... For, for those of us that don't know where Queensbridge is, uh, where's, where is that? It's actually right by, right by the waterfront of like the side of Queens. And if you take the F line, it's the first stop on Queens. Uh, but that's the best way I can put it. Cool. Yes. Cool. Awesome. So, um, so what what are the issues around that uh, particular uh, NYCHA project that you, you know, what, what are the issues that they face and, you know, how, tell us more about, uh, about that. Yeah, so um, we started out in 2013 mobilizing, uh, we got a fund to mobilize Asian uh, voters. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we were registering people to vote, but then we realized that they had much more pressing issues, Um, you know, and one of the biggest one, and and we're still organizing around that is language access mm. because um, we have a lot of Asian tenants that you know have uh, speak limited English or can understand limited English, and you know when they go to the management office or when they receive documents, it's those services are all in English, so like they literally cannot like communicate with folks because of that, and and they're much more disadvantaged as a result. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How many language groups? Uh are in that uh, represented in that uh, place and and have this similar issue. So right now uh, we work with Bengali, Korean, and Chinese tenants. Mm-hmm. So um, our tenants speak Bangla, Korean, and in terms of the Chinese groups, we speak Mandarin, Cantonese predominantly. There are so many different dialects within the different groups. So again, you know, there's it's much more complex. So I mean, th- this uh, this group also. I mean, obviously, there's like a 30-year history there, but I mean, you know, the I mean, there have been, uh, there have been, you know, the, the Asian population in New York has been strong for quite a long time, right? Um, so uh, there must be like m- many generations of people living there, or there are a lot of um, uh, new Asian immigrants here. I think it's a mix of both because I've met um, some tenants that have lived there for 20 years, and then you have those that have just recently moved in from like from the range of like one to five years. Mm-hmm. So again, um, yeah, it really depends. Uh, but you know that's just Queensbridge alone. You know, like as you've mentioned, in New York City, there's just so many. You know, there's just been a rich history of Asian immigrants coming in, yeah, and settling. Cool. So I just want to interrupt for a second. We're being joined here by um, by Andrea, who's uh, who just sat down at a mic. Um, hold on one second. I'm gonna show her how where this should go. Just kind of point it right here. Yeah. Is this good? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. Hi. That's cute. Um, crash the party so abruptly. No, no, that's okay. No, that's okay. That's what this is all about. Um, is that not staying still? Okay. Thanks. Great. So, Andrea, um, tell us about tell us about yourself. Why why you're here and that kind of thing. Do you two know each other, or, no, or you just no, met really just, just here, met. just a second ago? That's what this is all about, right? Yes, like, it is. You know, Absolutely. Hooking um, up with people that you can like, you know, hopefully collaborate with in the future. Um, no, I I just came here because I've I've heard of the Interference Archive for a while, and I've always wanted to go to an event here, but I never have been because I live a bit away from it. Um, I live in Harlem, actually. Okay. And for a, any curious listeners, uh, the Interference Archive is in Brooklyn. Go Anis. I don't know if that's like a secret or not. 
It's not a secret. <laughs> okay. okay. No, 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 no. It's not a secret. They're very, they're very forthcoming okay. with that. Awesome. Uh, their location. They have yeah, an open yeah. stacks um, archive, which is a bit different than some archives. So you can just kind of wander in and go through the stuff uh, yeah. and, and look at it. That's whereas right. It's very cool. Um, yeah. So I live in Harlem. I also work in Harlem. Um, I've, I've lived there ever since I've, I graduated from college a couple years ago. Uh, and I work for um, a legal services organization. It provides legal services to uh, low-income New Yorkers. And uh, I work in the housing unit. Um, so much of our work is just sort of preventing evictions uh, through court and like advocacy and other means necessary um, to keep uh, Harlem residents in their apartment. Um, and the city right now is just kind of like throwing money at us because they're kind of desperate. Um, you know, we've had a homelessness crisis uh, for the you know for quite a while. It's something that escalated under Bloomberg, and now that the De Blasio administration has been trying to get under wraps, but it, it's really really difficult, right? Um, it's you know how do you like sort of contain a fire? Um, it has to do with a lot of factors. Obviously, gentrification is like the primary thing. Um, like you know the like sort of the nice cool things that happen in midtown Manhattan you think they are not sort of a direct factor in gentrification but they are for instance like you know something like the High Line opens um, it affects nearby rents in that area and then uh, you know the people there move up to the Upper West Side because it will be more affordable to them and then people in the Upper West Side move up to Harlem because that's more affordable and then so it continues like all the way to the Bronx all, all the way the, right to the yes, Bronx all, yeah, all throughout all the boroughs so, yeah and so you know um, homelessness is still rising. I think um, the mayor in the last week recently announced that they'd be opening like 50 new homeless shelters throughout the city. Mm -hmm. And that's quite controversial, right? Because this is something you see as both a necessary good and still kind of inadequate to address the fact that people do not have affordable housing, people do right. not make enough money, um, you know, people need help with other factors like, um, you know, mental health and, you um, a drug addiction, things like that. And then also this has like an impact on local residents as well. Like you can chalk this up to nimbyism some of the times, but also other times they're just more like, you know, we, we like, you know, we don't need shelters. The shelters are something that adversely impact our community and it's not fair for us to shoulder right. the burden. Mm -hmm. um, for instance, an organization called Picture the Homeless, which is um, a group of homeless activists, actually. They're against the opening of homeless shelters as well. So, you know, it's just like, you know, a widespread problem. Yeah. We don't realize there's just, uh, I think there, there needs to be radical measures to address it, and there's really none for seeing. I mean, as usual, like with all things, you need like, I mean, I, I suspect, you know, the reader, the listeners would sympathize with this. We would need like radical income redistribution and we would need like the building of uh, units that are what this. It, what is considered really affordable in certain areas is not the same as what the city considers affordable. What, how they measure affordability is through AMI, which is area median income. But mm -hmm. that's the median income of like the entire city. So like, you know, you have a place that you're, you're for instance, if you build affordable units in East Harlem, where the majority of the residents are making like $20,000 a year or whatever. Right, and that like drives that, yeah. drives that price that, up. Yeah, what is affordable, what is like 50% quote AMI is not like affordable to them. Yeah. Um, so so. Uh, it's an interesting kind of like um, space that you work in with housing. <laughs> yes. And I guess you have like a pin that says housing is a human right. Yes. 
Wait, did you make that here? Yes, I did. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> there's so there's some overlap with what you guys do. As Roxy was just telling me about um, working in Queensbridge and mm. uh, with uh, a particular nitro project there. That is, you said the biggest in yeah in the nation. In actually. the nation, yeah. the biggest the biggest nitro project in the nation. Yes. Um, so I mean, so these are these are concerns that you must be very familiar with as well. Um, how does that you know how does how does that play out with your uh, the people that you work with on a daily basis? Yeah, I think it's it's all tied together because right now, aside from organizing around language access, we're also organizing our tenants to work in a coalition against you know rezoning Long Island City, because you know part of rezoning is you know the the mayor is trying to well. Um, the Department of City Planning, they'll come to the community and they'll ask for input, um, you know, and they cite the AMI as a way of like, okay, like this is how we're going to build affordable housing mm -hmm. and our tenants, like we read their letters, you know, we know exactly how much they're making, you know, what kinds of benefits they receive and, you know, like how their lives are like and we told, you know, we, 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 we will have those conversations as organizers with them and then they'll just say, this is just impossible, like there's no way we can afford it. So it's a very, you know, just like the reality that we're living with and we're trying to really like you know work with the tenants you know and for them to like organize with other tenants there in Long Island City against you know um, possible eviction you know yeah. and yeah and further like just not have homeless shelters I guess as a way right um, it would be great if the section 8 program were to sort of you know restart on uh, the section 8 uh, let me explain uh, it basically allows you to pay 30% of your income whatever that is at all times mm. so some of the problems most of the problem we have with our clients is that they you know they'll, they'll have a, a job it's totally fine and then something happens right as invariably it always does they lose their job they have to fall back on public assistance um, they um, get injured and need to go on disability benefits so you know their their income is extremely variable that's one of the primary problems with also these like AMI units right they'll say like you know um, like these apartments are for families that uh, make $40,000 a year so you only need to pay like $700 rent each month like isn't that awesome isn't that incredible okay yeah but like that's not always going to be the ch case right like the family is probably like, they might lose their job they might not always make $40,000 a year and then they can't pay rent and then they get evicted um, so this Allowing people to pay like only a certain percentage of their income at all times. So you know, if you have zero income, you pay zero. If you, you know, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, is a right. lot more helpful. But unfortunately, um, the federal government is no longer really interested in kind of that kind of thing. And under Ben Carson, our awesome new Secretary of HUD, that's probably not going to be a reality anytime soon. Either. Interesting. Yeah, so it's a different way of defining affordability, right? Yes. I mean, like as far as like uh, percentage of the income versus the percentage of the median, yes. uh, the median in the area. And mm -hmm. as we all know from living in New York, yeah. that varies widely. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, the you know even just like basic stats, right? Like a median is not necessarily where you know like yeah. representative of the the most people. So it's not necessarily doing what the, the most good for the most people yeah. so I mean so you're coming at it from a legal perspective and um, mm -hmm. helping people in individual cases and and that sort of thing Is yeah that uh, yes and no because we're we're a community organization we also have um, organizers within our office and we also um, uh, we are also given funding to go into these uh, buildings that are being targeted by landlords um, rent stabilized apartments rent controlled apartments uh, apartments in which the landlords are resorting to like really shitty tactics to get them out. You know, I think you know most people have heard of them like uh, shutting off the heat, shutting off the electricity. 
Um, some buildings have gone without heat for like a year, like really horrible shit. Um, and then uh, getting the tenants organized. Um, and once the tenants get organized, like they can really change their situation. Right. Um, but yeah, you know, like a lot of things have to happen. They have to happen on an individual organizing scale. And they also have to happen on this sort of like, you know, systemic, systemic like, scale, yeah. obviously. Do you, do you run into the, the language barrier thing that Roxy was talking about? I mean, is there like a lot of these, um, a lot of people don't speak English, don't speak very good English, and do you have to deal with that a lot? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, I mean, if you're working in low-income communities in New York, then there's, like, almost, like, no way to get through that without being, like, bilingual of some sort, right? Because mm-hmm. they're going to be mostly immigrants, um, depending on where you are. I think, um, you know, up in Harlem, we have a lot of Spanish speakers. Um, and then in Chinatown, you have to speak, like, Mandarin, Cantonese, or even other Chinese dialects, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Do you, do, I mean, Roxy, do you work with other organizations to kind of bridge that gap at all? Or is it, how does, how does your work play into that? Uh? I think we use, well, right now we're working with council member Richard Torres to pass a language access bill. But there are other organizations that have been pushing for language access, like just their sister fern bill that's is already um, in uh I actually forgot the details, but I went to the house of no, for the okay. hearing. Yeah, but there's different groups like Adikar, uh, African Communities Together, you know, like, there are already yeah. folks working on the issue, and we're just part of that coalition. Right, right on. Yeah. And and so a lot of it is probably also working with uh, service providers to make sure that they have, um, you know, multi-language. Yeah, it gets uh, very technical, unfortunately. You yeah, know, I'm sure. We're, yeah. we're such a diverse community. Also, you know, it's like, well, which are the languages that are most commonly spoken and all of that. But, you know, there's always people that, you know, like a smaller group of people that also speak that language, yes. you know, different right. language. So, yeah. yeah, legislation, I don't think, will be the only way to solve this issue. You know, we definitely need to rely on our communities and really support each other. Yeah. 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 I, I had this experience. I know that this is not... Uh, uh, residential tenants necessarily but I had this experience walking down I hadn't been on Canal Street in a, in a minute and I walked down Canal Street I was looking for a watch and I I swear to God this place is empty <laughs> there's like nothing on Canal Street anymore everyone's yeah. gone is this you know and I know that I, there's a group called uh, Chinatown is not for sale um, dealing with like um, you know uh, other like commercial spaces and that sort of thing I mean do you have any crossover with them or are you really focused on Queensbridge as a locale? So uh, within CAV, um, there's a NITRO organizing project that I'm a part of, but we also are part of the Chinatown Tenants Union and we're also collaborating with the Chinatown Art Brigade, which mm-hmm. I think is what you're pointing to or, yeah. you know, from what I'm hearing because um, they've done art projects, you know, just um, like projecting, you know, images they created with the tenants, you know, around like fighting against gentrification, yeah. which as you were saying, you know, what you're witnessing in Canal Street is exactly what it is. This is what gentrification looks like is when the shop owners, you know, they leave. And that's when you know, like, there's already a company or existing landlord that bought off, like, right. those units. Right. I had lease. I had this very brief interaction with a, a, a shop owner who I asked, just directly asked, like, so right. why is everybody leaving? Uh, and his answer to me, which I think was a little bit like guarded was just like you know well business is bad and i'm just like is it or you know like i kind of pride a little bit like is it or is rent just skyrocketing or like what is the deal 
but uh, they weren't were willing it's to. It's like a combination of things, right? Like if the rents start escalating, then your clientele is going to leave, like,、yeah. and then people are going to move in who they don't want to shop at your place, right? Because it's, it, you know, like have that like infamous incident with like the bodega cat on Yelp. Like、uh, there was this girl who she must have been like a New York transplant because she wrote a Yelp review that was like, oh my god, like don't go to this bodega. Like I saw a cat there, it's very unsanitary, and people were like, what? Like get the fuck out of here, like gentrifying asshole. Like that's like bodega cats. Like welcome to New York. Have they not seen the entire branding <laughs>、yeah. of Deli Cat? Like, yes, Deli Cat is from the Deli, the cat、yeah. in the deli, and it was like、right? a whole like social media outrage, and it was like you know、yes. it went as well as you would expect, and that's really funny. But that's also kind of like this kind of like it, this mirror example of like what、right. often happens to local shops, right? They yeah, may not,、totally. um, they are just sort of they're like a bit shabby in quality. They don't have like those sleek corporate. Interiors or the kind right, of marketing right, right, or decor,、right. they're not a cool place that you can really recommend to your friends. Like, hey, check out this like hip new taco stand or whatever. Right.、Um, it, yeah. So that's so funny. I follow this thing on Instagram called Bodega Cats of Instagram, and <laughs>、yeah. it's just like cat、yes. images from Delhi. Well, we're lucky I love. They're so love we're、it. lucky、so、that they they are so beloved because that might have gone in like a different direction, right? Like, right. People who are not familiar with New York would have been like, that is a real like health hazard, like. Get it out, whatever.、Okay. Yeah, I don't know. If they only knew, this is the thing. If they only knew the health hazards that <laughs>、oh, yeah. that face them every day, <laughs> right? You know, the EPA. Well, let's not get onto the EPA. <laughs> yeah, yeah、um, let's not. Let's not. But I mean, you know, like we live here in the Gowanus. I live here in the Gowanus Canal. Like I don't live in the canal,、mm-hmm. uh, but I mean, I live near the canal, and it's disgusting, and it's like a real problem, and、um, you know. I don't know.、It's、strange,、yeah. like the 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 kind of like the, the way that like、uh, the gentrification thing works here is that、yes. we've got like you know big buildings coming up that、mm-hmm. are you know people think the developers are like one day this、yeah. canal is going to be waterfront property. You know what I mean? Right, like right, right、yes. now, it's the off run for the sewer. Yes. But you know. Yeah. So there are always mixed feelings. I mean, I assume like I can like call myself sort of a gentrifier because I like live in Harlem, right? And I assume like many、right. listeners listening and have like a similar experience of like moving into maybe like a predominantly POC neighborhood and having mixed、right. feelings when like the slightly like what you perceive as like a slightly shady neighborhood store is like shutters up and is going to be replaced by like I don't know you're like like a Shake Shack or something something that you're just like woo Shake Shack's coming love it.、Right. Um, that brings Way to pick、scary. on Shake Shack. <laughs> no, I love、kidding. Shake Shack. Oh my gosh! But that's like that's like the problem, right?、Chick-fil-A, no, no, totally. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So and you know, I don't really have anything to say that except for like you know support your local businesses, support、yeah. people that um support businesses that are owned by like people who live in these neighborhoods and invest in these neighborhoods. Yeah. Go to your local community boards and find out what is going on in regards to rezoning and small businesses and things like that. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's true. I mean, so I, this is this is great. I'm glad to hear about all these things. Like, I don't, you know, these are all th- things I don't really know very much about.、Um, but it all also kind of fits the topic of this、uh, this whole party, like the building resistance thing. And so one of the things I keep asking everybody is,、uh, what does building resistance mean to you? And、um, you know, and how are you doing that? And you know, 
what what does it what does it mean for you? Rox, you want to take this one first? Yeah. Uh, so for me, I've been thinking about that a lot since the election. But I'm sure you know, for people of color, you know, especially for Black folks, you know, that's something that they already think about way before you know Trump was elected, because that's already a part of their lives, right? So for me, it's you know about like really having a routine, you know, like that. No, it's like daily resistance, you know, make it a way of living. So I've been taking self-defense classes for two weeks now. And, you know, that's just as a part of, um, you know, like trying to just, you know, equip myself. But I also go to this um, people, uh, women of color healing circle that happens every month. You know, it's, it's close invite. Um, but for those who are interested, um, you know, they can approach one of us um, or, you know, or when there's women of color that we see in our lives, we just, you know, tend to ask them. Um, but yeah, we you know do herbs. We try to go back to traditional medicine. We're rethinking really about you know, and also thinking about ways of being outside of the system. Because yeah, I do organizing work, and yeah, I'm working with service agencies and working with the city a lot. But um, we need to really start thinking in that vein because I think that's what people did in the 60s and 70s, and you know that's yeah. There's something that we can learn, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah like working with, I mean, there's people around you every day. You live in the city. It's like there's got to be a way to kind of like make it part of the fabric of your life. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. What about you, Andrea? What does building resistance mean to you? Yeah, that's a, um, it's a really interesting question. I love kind of asking people that as well and seeing how it sort of relates to their various other feelings. Like maybe sometimes like religious family, sometimes like a family thing. Like, I don't know. Um, I don't know. There's like a quote that's like, I wish I could attribute it to like whoever is responsible for it. It's like, um, um, you're not obliged to like finish your work, but like, you know, nor are you allowed to like stop it completely. I'm completely butchering that quote. Um, but you guys may have heard like variations of it. Sure. Um, yeah. And that's and I think like an, another version of that go circulating a lot is like you know this is like a marathon, not a sprint. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and that's I think what you, you have to remember like day in day out. Like sometimes I have to remind myself that even if Hillary had won, blah blah blah, like it, right. like we would have still had to do this work anyway. Like. Right. If she had won, like capitalism wouldn't be going away. Like uh, affordable rent, like sorry, rent would still be skyrocketing in New York City. Like many people on like the day-to-day level would still be dealing with the same shit that they do like every single day. Like you know, after I was in New Hampshire for the election, when I came back, it was a real wake-up call because like my clients were just still calling me about like the same things, right? Like they didn't have like room to think about the election. They were just like, "Hello, like am I still getting evicted from my home today?" So, um, yeah, this is, right. you know, this is a long-term yeah. thing. This is, we're all in it together for the long haul. And, yeah, we take care of each other. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And take care of ourselves. And take care of ourselves. Yeah. Right. More than ever. Yeah. Self-care and yeah. self-defense. These are issues that have been, you know, also kind of raised in the context of Absolutely. This. Self-care is resistance. Yeah. Yes, because um, your oppressors don't want you to take care of yourself. No, they don't. No, we just had people in here talking about uh, the um, uh, campaign for campaign for the New York campaign for health or something New York like that. Act. Yeah, yeah, for yeah, single yeah. payer healthcare. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. like that's like another thing where it's like yeah. if you can't if you're running around trying to get healthcare, mm-hmm. like you're not, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. starting your business or like continuing your business or Do anything without your health. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, thanks so much for having us. Yeah, on. thank you guys. Thank yeah. you both. Roxy and Andrea are here. Mike. So. Okay, rock on. Resist. Yeah, always. resist. <laughs> <laughs> and we're making an announcement here at the uh, Interference Archive. 
We are here at the Building Resistance Propaganda Party. We're at 131 8th Street between 2nd and 3rd Ave, and we're here till 5 o'clock. It is two minutes to four, so you have one more hour to come on down and uh, uh, build some resistance, build some buttons, make some posters, collect some paraphernalia, um, and grab a drink and come talk to me on the air. Radio Free Gowanus, radiofreegowanus.org, 88.5 FM. And uh, now we are back to the playlist from the current uh, exhibition that they have up. This has finally got the news, Printed Legacy of the U.S. Radical Left from 1970 to 1979, and it is a radical playlist. Broadcasting from the bottom of the canal, this is RFG, RadioFreeGowanus.org. 